0: Welcome to another episode of the Practical CMO with your host, Mark Corona. Mark's passion is to help leadership teams accelerate revenues and profits using best growth practices and to improve the value and performance of marketing in their businesses. Well, hi, everybody. This is Mark Corona, host of the Practical CMO podcast. We've got a great show today. It's really been a blessing for me to be able to invite another one of my colleagues on. And today I've got Atul Manocha and this is not going to be a traditional marketing podcast. I mean, you can almost call it a another look at marketing and maybe even sort of the dark side of marketing if we wanted to get really, really dramatic about it. But Atul's got a new book coming out called Lies, Damn Lies and Marketing. And I just thought this would be a great, great, Topic for us to pick up because we really like to talk about the practical guidance, practical value of marketing in your business. And Atul's developed a perspective on this, that I thought was really, really interesting. So I don't know, Atul, if we'd call this an unmarketing presentation, at least it's a very realistic look at marketing, I think. And tools, a partner a Chief Outsiders, colleagues, and Got great experience in marketing, but also in engineering, which I think has been a real strong foundation for that he's represented in this new book. So, Till, welcome to the Practical CMO.
1: Thanks, Mark. Good to be here.
0: How about if you just lay out a little bit of your marketing background and talk about your passion for marketing, but also, sort of, how did you get to this topic? I mean, what really inspired you to develop this lies, damn lies, and marketing thesis?
1: yeah thanks mark actually there's a uh, i start the book by giving the whole story of how i was dragged into marketing i'm not going to go through the that part of it and i'm going to get to the heart of your question as to why this book and how did i come up with this idea so again like i said i was dragged into marketing it wasn't a career choice that i made but i have been in marketing all of my career so it was a choice after i got dragged in i made the choice to stick around and done my best to uh, do a good job. So over the 35 odd years that I've done marketing in large corporations, as large as Toyota Motor Corporation and as small as startups, I discovered that there was, to use a phrase that you introduced in the introduction, there is a dark side of marketing. And that started bothering me. Not bothering me as to why there is a dark side. I, I, I presume every profession has a dark side. But I wanted to sort of capture and expose the dark side, but also capture the whole side of it. It's, in fact, if I were to sort of build on your metaphor, it, the book is not about just the dark side of the moon, it's about dark side and the bright side. In fact, mm. I believe that the book is more optimistic than the title might suggest.
0: Yeah, optimistic and realistic, I think. And how much has your background in engineering influenced your thinking at a tool? Because I mean, you've got a very deep background from the Indian Institute of Technology in Delhi and an MBA in Yale University. I mean, you come to the topic, not just from a marketing foundation, but really some domain expertise in engineering. And how, how did you put that together?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So I chose engineering. I mean, that was a career of choice, which I didn't get to practice, which is sort of an interesting story. And I chose engineering because I wanted to deal with real things, things that were true, things that could be measured, things that could be precise, things that were tangible. To be perfectly honest, I had a very low opinion of the sales and marketing types. I thought they were the charlatans. They didn't create any value in the world. And and they had their hands in the pockets of other people and all all the sort of the the thing. Till I discovered that, no, there is a bright side of marketing. And therefore, I chose to stay in marketing how engineering has informed my marketing career is that engineering really taught me how to be analytical, how to solve problems, how to look at data and make sense of it. And as you know, Mark, there's a lot of that needed in good marketing and good business problem solving. Mm -hmm. So that is, I think, a big contribution that my engineering background had in making my marketing career a success.
0: Yeah, my transition was from sales and sales management into marketing and marketing management. <clears throat> and what attracted me about marketing, I thought it was going to be the creative side of marketing. But what you learn is that that's really not where marketing is. I mean, there's a, certainly a creative element in good marketing. But I worked with an agency early in my career in Minneapolis called Carmichael Lynch, and these guys are very, very creative, but it was interesting because their perspective was, yeah, we, we like our creative awards, but we really, really like our advertising efficiency awards, right? Because if we don't make businesses successful, who cares if it's creative? And I, that was just really stuck with me at Tool and sort of gave me a much more balanced view, right? And of course, to understand if something's effective, you've got to understand the performance and the metrics underneath it, right? Looking at, looking at the right data. And that was many years ago. And today, of course, there's more data and more channels and more media to have to, under, to get that understanding through. So it's uh, I, I appreciate your background and how you came after this. I think we should jump into this and talk about, get, let's get into the topic of the book, specifically at tools. So... One of my ways of leading in, I think, is sort of give us an introduction to what you think the main lies marketers and marketing agencies tell, and how does that sort of influence all of marketing today, but particularly social social media and social marketing?
1: Yeah, so in my years of experience in marketing, and I've been in the corporate side where I've worked with agencies and hired other marketers, and now I'm with Chief Outsiders, and I help CEOs develop their marketing, solve their business growth problems. So what I've discovered, and of course, this, what I'm going to say does not apply to every single agency and not every single marketing person, but there's a fair share of sort of the dark side. And that is one of the lies that marketing agencies or marketeers sometimes promote is that everything is measurable. Now, again, you know, and we just told the world that I come from an engineering background. So I'm very comfortable with numbers. But I've also learned over the years that some of the stuff that is really important may not be measurable. So just because it's not measurable doesn't mean that it's not important. Mm-hmm. So, so one of the lies that marketing people perpetuate at times is that if we cannot measure ROI, it must not be the right thing to do. I don't know if that's the right metric to decide whether it's the right thing to do or not. You need to decide that without looking at ROI, if it's the right thing to do, and then see how you can measure the success of it or the lack thereof. So, So that's, I think, one of the lies. Another lie that I've seen is that people specialize. We all tend to sort of specialize. We are told that let's find out what our superpower is. Let's find our niche. Let's find what... We are good at. So the same thing applies to agencies as well. There are agencies which are very good at consumer, there are agencies that are good at B2B, there are agencies that are good at web, there are agencies that are good at SEO, market research, and you, you name it. I mean, all the different subheadings within marketing. But they all they all also claim to have an overall view of, of the big marketing, so to speak. So what happens is that if you hire a company that is really an SEO specialist, because you're looking for SEO. And then you ask them to do marketing strategy for your business because you also realize that SEO is just one piece of it. You want the SEO work to be integrated with the rest of the world that you have. So the SEO firm will always do the big strategic marketing from the point of view of SEO. Mm -hmm. You hammer everything is a nail. So guess what? If you hire a web agency to do their strategic plan, what do you think they'll recommend? You need a new website. If yeah. you hire a market research company to do your overall marketing strategy, number one item would be you need to do more research. So yeah. that was another lie. Yeah, uh, you know, things- that,
0: that's an interesting one because, I mean, it violates one of the fundamental principles of marketing that you have to find something unique that's built on your distinctive competencies, Right. So to say, well, we're everything to everybody is not good marketing. It's not effective marketing. It's not, you, you can't connect with that, right? Because it's not believable, it's not credible that any, everybody can do everything, right? I mean, even the, remember the CEO of Under Armour said, we can do anything, we just can't do everything, right? Which is sort of another way of saying that we need to know what we're good at, what our value proposition is built on our distinctive competencies and that's where we play. We don't play across the board. Let me also give you an example of an agency getting out of bounds. There was an agency I did use with the client and after a year or so they decided they wanted to become a strategic partner for industrials and manufacturers, right? And do the strategy work. So yeah, they wanted to go upstream like a lot of agencies claim that they're, oh yeah, we can do your strategy work, like you just said. And I talked to the CEO and I said, well She goes, what do you think of that? I said, I think you're a long ways away from that. She goes, why? I said, well, first of all, you don't have anybody on your staff that's ever worked in manufacturing or an industrial company. Second of all, you don't have anybody on your staff who knows how to do strategy. So saying that, oh, now we're a marketing strategy firm focusing on manufacturers is actually not believable given your current competencies and your assets, right? Uh, she didn't like to hear that answer, but she go ahead and do it anyway. So good luck with yeah. that. So I'm in violent agreement with you that the specialization and the strategy are to make a claim that you can be both is it'd be a particular
1: challenge. Yeah. And again, I want to be clear. I'm not against specialization. We have to specialize. I mean, the world has become so broad that you cannot be everything to everybody, but you do need to have, you do need to have people who can pick up different things. I mean, the analogy that I use in the book, and I'm going to extend this analogy in the conversation here, is that the music orchestra conductor, musicians are specialists. There's a violinist, there's a cellist, there's a pianist, somebody on the trombones. So that specialization is great because you cannot be everything to everybody unless you're Ian Anderson. But if you want to create great music, you do need a conductor Sort of piece those specializations together and really make a symphony out of it.
0: Yeah, and I think sometimes people don't realize that being a conductor is a different role, right? With a different skill set, right? Even in business, I think for many years, businesses I worked in, particularly small and mid sized businesses, thought anybody could be a project manager, right? And today we say, well, no, project managers have certifications, it's a discipline. I mean, you just don't nominate someone, go, where well, you do it, right? I mean, you're really yeah. looking for someone with the right skills.
1: Right, so. right, yeah.
0: Uh, all right, well, let's keep going. What other lies do you think are relevant that we should talk about today?
1: One of the other lies that I think has been commonly perpetuated is I'm going to get into the sort of the specialist uh, function of marketing of SEO or Google, uh, the Google algorithm and, and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So. I'm sure as a career marketer, Mark, you've experienced this also, you received emails from different SEO agencies saying, hey, we believe Google has changed their algorithm and we can help you decipher it, blah, blah, blah. And how how important it is to really stay current with what Google is doing. Right. Now, my experience is Google is too smart. They change their algorithm too frequently. And frankly, the most important part is as a business, you don't need to decode Google algorithm to be successful. So this thing about Google algorithm has changed, therefore, hire me, hire me, hire me, I think is a big lie. If you go to Google website, they give you clear instructions, what you need to do to improve rankings within the Google world. Mm -hmm. And it's pretty straightforward. If you think about it, Google's goal is in some ways aligned with any business's goal, which is to serve their customers better and better. So Google says if you, owner of Acme Manufacturing Company, if you do a good job serving your customers, answering their questions, making it easy to access, giving them relevant information, make it make making all doing all the good things, which frankly you ought to be doing anyway, right. regardless of whether you want to rank high on Google or not, if you do those things well, guess what? we'll reward you with a higher ranking. So my input to the CEOs that I work with, and it's mentioned in the book is, that don't get trapped by these these, uh, emails, which basically say, hey, I need to spend more money on SEO because Google has changed their algorithm. No, don't have to spend any money because of that. You may need to spend money on SEO for other reasons, but not because Google has changed its algorithm.
0: Yeah, well, early in 2020, I think it was called the BERT release, that came out, right? I was, I believe it was January of last year, a tool. That did throw a lot of businesses off track because it employed natural language word strings, right? Not a word or two-word. That was a fun big pretty fundamental change. But it also talked about how strongly your mobile enabled, what kind of authenticity score you've got and your overall website speed, right? But they did lay, you're right, they laid it out for people. Do you you think the challenge for a lot of businesses was sort of first even knowing that that was publicly available, they didn't have to find an expert to tell them that, but more on the implementation side?
1: Frankly, I also had forgotten that that's publicly available. It's only when I was doing the research on the book, I said, oh, yeah, I, I do remember seeing that. I went to the website and found it very easily. So it's not something that Google publicizes for whatever reason. But it's out there. It's not very hard to find what what their recommendations are. But even if you understand the recommendation, you often do need an agency to fine-tune what you ought to do for your customers. So my suggestion to business owners and and CEOs is hire the agency not to sort of uh, manipulate or work around the Google system. Do it to do a good job serving your customers.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. In other words, your focus should not be Google that I need to sort of manipulate that end of it. I need to sort of uh, spend my money so that I can reach my customers in the most effective manner.
0: Okay, all right. So, so far we've talked about everything is measurable, right? And uh, while we t- try to make things measurable, I mean, there was there used to be a long example where you can't measure public relations, traditional public relations, but you actually can't. You can measure college, you can, Evaluate column inches and say how much would uh, for this visibility that I got for free would it cost me if I had to pay for it? Or you can measure brand views, right? But there's your your comment was just because you could measure something doesn't mean it's valuable to measure, but also some things that are valuable are not measurable, right? You can both sides Precisely. of that, right? So I think I, I'd be a, I'm in pretty violent agreement with you on that. I think we've talked about specialization versus sort of strategic capabilities right or having an overall vision you talked about the SEO is perhaps that's more directed towards social media what other lies i want because we've got a couple other things you want to talk about today but what other lies do you think you want to put out there and then we'll we'll develop them in the second part of our podcast
1: and this other lie that i'm going to mention here actually links very well with uh, with the this Uh, this notion of measuring things, right? So in the digital world, and fortunately, Mark, you and I both grew up in marketing when there wasn't the so-called digital world. So we have seen both sides in some ways, right? So often we tell people or we hear other agencies tell people that in the digital world, it's so easy to measure anything. You know, I can tell you who showed up, where did they show up from, how much time did they spend on what page, and find their IP address. I can tell you exactly what was going on and how did they migrate from one page to another? Yes. All that is measurable. Okay. But the question is, is it useful? Is it really important? So I think while things may be measurable very easily in some ways, I also like to posit over here that the buyer's journey has become more complex. 30 years ago, If Sears had a catalog and Sears had a store, if you went to the store and bought your lawnmower, Sears knew that somebody bought a lawnmower from a store. Mm -hmm. And it would be a very good assumption that they probably did not spend much time going through the catalog. If somebody ordered a lawnmower from the catalog, there was probably a good assumption that that was a channel, that's how you sold it. But today, think about how you buy iPhone. You may go to the store, Apple store, read the reviews online, not on Apple site alone, but on Macworld and other places, and then place the order online. Now, does it mean that the store did not play a role in your purchase decision? Absolutely not. They probably played a significant role, even though they never recorded the sale at that square foot of of the store. Mm -hmm. So the buyer's journey has become a whole lot more complex. And just because you can measure doesn't mean that you're getting the truth.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Because it's like, what do you consider the compelling touch point, right? right? Was it the first thing that they touched your business or the last one or whatever? I mean, just, it's hard to know,
1: right? And my position would be that it's neither of those. It could, It's very complex and it may not be, unless you ask the customer and the customer may right. not even tell you that. Right. It's a very complex decision-making process. I mean, put yourself out there as a customer of last time you bought something over $1,000. Look at your own journey that you took. How did you research? Where all did you go? Who all did you talk to? What all did you look at? And you'll realize it is no longer store versus catalog at Sears. It's a a very complex journey. And yes, all of it is measurable, but you don't know which one is playing what role.
0: Yeah. And you know, Atul, just to kind of put a little cap on that comment, I would say when I look at the best business executives that I've ever worked with, not marketing particularly, but business executives, CEOs in particular... They look at one or two or three things to measure the health of their business. They could look at hundreds of things, right? right. And, it, and at some level in the organization, those things make sense to you. If you're in operations, you're going to look at utilization numbers and things that are important. But when you look at the entity, sort of roll it all up, you know, there's typically one or two th- or three things that are the kind of the leading indicators of healthy performance, right? And I think that's a good summary of your comment. All right. Well, Atul, this has been really good sort of getting into the lies, damn lies, and marketing <laughs> thesis that you've laid out in your new book, Which, let's talk, let's take a couple of other aspects of this. So you, you made the comment that sales and marketing have traditionally been regarded as charlatans because it's just mysterious to a lot of executives, sort of what they do and the value that they create. Do you think there's a big difference though today? Do people recognize a difference between sales and marketing or in, in fact, is the technology actually causing them to become less different and more alike and the need is to really have
1: them become more integrated? Short answer is yes and yes. I think they are different, but they are getting closely aligned and there is a greater need to make sure that that alignment stays strong. So this is a fairly common question and people have talked about different ways to answer what's the difference in sales and marketing, but you may not have heard this before. So I'm going to use a slightly different metaphor to describe the way I see the difference between sales and marketing. We all have cars. Cars all have low beam and high beam. So I think of sales as the low beam, and this is not a a statement of which one is less important or more important. The low beam tells you what's imminent, what's right in front of the car, if you are going to go into a ditch or not. Whereas the high beam is useful to know exactly the long distance view of where you are going and where you ought to be going. Mm -hmm. So that's what I call marketing. Marketing is the high beam, sales is the low beam. And for a good business, a good car, you need both of them to be functioning and functioning well.
0: Yeah, I I like that definition. I also like to think about sales and marketing this way that companies need revenue they need revenue this week this month this quarter this year but they also need a growth plan and new incremental revenues in a year and two years and three years and five years right in order to really become an ongoing healthy company and build the highest valuation possible and what i like to think is that you can't have the same people Working on short-term revenue generation and long-term revenue generation, because you know the, your mind space always takes you to the
1: short term, right? Exactly. But, I mean, it's the, it's the typical Stephen Covey saying: urgent versus important. If there is a fire burning, that needs to be put out urgently. So you need to take care of that, so that you can spend time to do the more important things, which may not be, which may not appear very urgent, but probably are more important.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. And, and let's talk a little bit too about your view of sort of, digital. You, you, you raised some discussion points around digital marketing and how it, it creates complexity, but also in terms of how much data, incremental data is available that you can, that it generates. What's your view of the role of traditional marketing? I mean, it seems today, even the McKinsey report that came out in October uh, last year about how B2B sales are shifting to an increasingly digital view, right? Digital is enabling customer interactions, e-commerce. The preference now is you don't have to come and visit me. You can do a Zoom meeting. There seems to be a greater acceptance of digital. But what's your view of how traditional marketing fits into that picture?
1: Yeah. So my view is that if we start, if we try to answer this question as an either or, is it A or is it B? Where do you stand? I think we are actually missing the big picture. We are missing the key point. It's neither A or B. It really has to be viewed as a combination. Now, Mm -hmm. in some instances, it may be 99% one, 1% the other, or it could be 50-50, or it could be skewed the other way. So that question is to be determined based on who your clients are, how do they consume information? I mean, that should be the big driving force in terms of whether you go digital or how much digital you go. I'll give you one example, which I think will make this point very well. We all respect Apple as a very successful company. I mean, I think it's the biggest company in the world on various different metrics. And we certainly think of them as very smart and they do things right most of the time. Now, if you drive down on route 101 between San Francisco and San Jose, you'll see at least a dozen, maybe more, huge, huge, you know, 60 foot wide billboards and mostly used for iPhone advertising. Now that's about as traditional as you can get. I mean, Mm -hmm. billboards have been there before there was marketing as a function. I mean, people painted things on, on, on the wall, right? Why are they still doing it? Do we think that Apple is only now getting into the digital world? No, they are doing it because they recognize that Route 101 gets all the traffic and there's a lot more traffic these days and it's growing. And therefore they are trying to capture the eyeballs that are spending more and more time with the 50 miles between San Francisco and San Jose which can take as long as two and a half hours. So they are trying to reach that. And in fact, if you think about it, their advertising is so creative that they are reaching not only the prospective customers, which ought to be the primary goal of any marketing function, how to reach the new customers, but they're also reaching existing customers by focusing their billboards on shot on iPhone. So in other words, they are sort of encouraging existing iPhone users to sort of up your game in, in taking pictures, building more stickiness with their own product. So I think it's brilliant. And all of that is traditional. I'll make one other point. We talked about ROI. So can you imagine Tim Cook asking the marketing head, how many more iPhones have we sold in the last month because of those millions of dollars we are spending on those billboards? Yeah. There is no way anybody can answer that. But no, still- you can
0: trying- ask the question, right? I mean, I've been right. At, I was asked that question when I spent two years in London uh, taking a business in New Europe. We had a chance to do some digital billboard advertising. And, and it was in one of the prominent squares and plazas in London. And it's like, well, let's try it. Right. And I mean, the head a sales night kind of decided we'd, we'd give it a go for six weeks. Right. Then of course it didn't take, take 10 minutes before somebody asked what we were going to get out of it quantitatively. Right. Not qualitatively, but quantitatively. Right, right. So the answer is, yeah, I can imagine someone asking that question because it happens all the time.
1: Yeah. And then when the marketing person truthfully says, sorry, I cannot tell you, then say, well, then we're not going to do it. Right. That's how bad marketing decisions are made by hinging your go, no go on, is there an ROI or not? Now, having said that, there are metrics that Tim Cook can insist on regarding those billboards. You can say what's going on with the traffic? How much, what's the average commute time? How many more eyeballs are we getting? Are are people driving on a different uh, route? Are, Are they taking BART? So all those things are measurable and useful, but no, you cannot answer the question how many more iPhones we sold because of that particular billboard.
0: Yeah, no, and it's just being honest, right? It's yeah, not exactly. trying to spent a lot of time. I mean, I remember some, somewhere along the way, a large corporation, they wanted to do an ROI on implementing an email system in the corporation. And you're like, really? I mean, come on, it's, it's either you can argue it's strategic, it's competitive, whatever, but don't bother trying to figure out an ROI. You know you need it, just do it, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Atul, so just to kind of close off our discussion, because we've covered a lot of in- information. This has been a really rich conversation. What's an, if you were to, say, give our listeners the number one thing that you want them to take away from uh, this discussion in your and
1: your book, what would it be? That's a great question. Let me see if I can summarize it. So one of the things that I discovered in my work with different CEOs is that because most of them have had some bad experience with marketing, for various reasons, some of the reasons that we talked about earlier in the podcast, they have either given up on marketing, their marketing can ever serve their need, or they're on the verge of giving up on marketing. There's, there's this heightened sense of frustration that don't like marketing or I don't understand it. And I always feel cheated at the end of it all. So they sort of feel that they can do well by staying away from marketing. Mm -hmm. Think of it as a cost center and let me cut it out. I never understand how it works anyway. So let's not spend any money on it. So if there's one takeaway I want to leave with the, uh, with the listener of this podcast is that marketing is critical and In my book, I cite a survey that's done every year by a a research firm called CB Insights out of New York City. And they look at funded, not not wannabe entrepreneurs, but funded companies that have raised big money from big VC firms that have gone out of business in the previous 12 months. So they do this research every December and try to figure out why did the well-funded business go under? They've listed top 10 reasons. Actually, they give top 20 reasons. But if you look at the top 10 reasons, eight out of those top 10 reasons have strong legs in the function of marketing. So if those businesses had spent some money on doing great marketing, they might be alive today. Mm-hmm. Now that's, if it's true for, uh, for funded companies, there's no reason to believe that it's not true for a company that's been in business for 40, 50 years. So in other words, what I want the the listener and the reader to take away is, yes, I understand why marketing has been frustrating you, but that doesn't mean that you should throw out marketing altogether. Marketing is still very, very useful, very, very critical to your success, and it can be done well. In fact, my book explains the dark side and then shows you the bright side for every dark side that I talk about.
0: Yeah, yeah. You know that's that's great. That's a great summary. Thank you for that. I would also add that you know marketing increasingly is assuming the role of growth champion in a business, and not just future growth because it really it's a great place to house the, the future growth plans, revenue, profit generation plans for any business, but also it's looking at your current business performance and trying to find better ways of using marketing and new technologies and new programs to do that business more effectively, that it's the perfect role and probably an even bigger role in the future. So I think we'll, we'll probably be as busy as we want to be for quite a while, two, even though you alluded to the fact that you and I have been at this for a while.
1: Yeah, but again, it's not just about you and I, it's about the function of marketing and there's a whole generation of marketers that are coming up. So Right, yeah. And we're not doing it for survival of marketing. We are actually doing it for how businesses will thrive. It's not about marketing. It's about the business growth.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think you and I have shared a philosophy that if we're, if we're helping the leadership of the businesses that we work with build better businesses, then that's the best thing we could possibly be doing right now. Right?
1: Exactly. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Hey, Atul. So, I'm sure people will want to follow up and get in contact with you. And we'll put the book information in the, w- along with a podcast introduction. What would you prefer for people to get a hold of you in the short term?
1: Well, my email address is aminocha at chiefoutsiders.com. So that's my first initial last name at chiefoutsiders.com. So that's a good way. I happen to have a unique name. It's, I'm not too hard to find on LinkedIn. So that's another way for people to connect <laughs> and can, can reach that way as well.
0: Yeah, okay, perfect. Hey, well, thanks for being on on this program. This has been, I think it's been a really rich discussion. I love the fact that you've taken a very intrusive uh, view of marketing and uh, and uh, developed a book title that will certainly stop and kept catch uh, people's attention. But would really encourage you to, to explore this further with Atul and uh, the book that he's developed. So thanks so much for being on this program, Atul.
1: Thank you so much for having me here, Mark. Good speaking with you.
0: Yeah. Well, hey, thanks everybody for listening into this podcast, and stay tuned next month. I think we're going to take a view of another fairly um, controversial view of marketing as we kind of go further. I've got an idea we'll explore. So please look for that upcoming podcast as well. Uh, thanks, and that's a wrap for another episode of the Practical CMO. never miss an episode. Be sure to look for The Practical CMO in all your favorite podcast apps or on our website, thepracticalcmo.com.